Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you this evening. I trust you brought your Bibles. Man, that was wonderful worship, wasn't it? I trust you brought your Bibles. Uh, I would like you to open them up to the book of John, chapter 3. We want to look at uh, that chapter, but more... Uh, More particularly, we'd like to look at uh, John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36, which has been a new study for us, and so uh, I want to share it with you this evening. I would also like you to stick a finger, if you would, or a piece of paper or something, uh, at the latter, latter part of John's gospel into John chapter 20, and we're going to look at a section of that, uh, of that chapter. It really serves as an illustration for the, the passage we're looking at. John chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 31 through 36, which is the remainder of that chapter, is part of the uh, overall section, and we, we've divided this up into two to look at it. Uh, but it's really part of uh, the whole section, verses 22 through the end of that chapter, which is the section uh, that John uh, writes about Jesus and he leaves this conversation that he has with Nicodemus, and, uh, which is the beginning of the chapter. And he, he goes out with his disciples to baptize at this area uh, out in the Judean countryside. And he's there, and he sees John the Baptist and his disciples over a ways. He's also baptizing. They're also ministering. And uh, there's this argument that develops, and there's this frustration that, that comes about with John's disciples. And, of course, they come up to John the Baptist and begin to complain about Jesus and his ministry. And uh, everyone's going over to him, and they're no longer coming. And, and really, the ministry of Jesus is growing so great that, you know, John the Baptist and his ministry is kind of taking a back seat. And they're upset about this. Well, they come, and, of course, they're, they're upset, and they're complaining to John. And John begins to elaborate on this whole deal on the significance of Jesus and his ministry. And uh, he does that uh, up through the end of this chapter. I want to focus on the last section of his, of his little dialogue he's having with his disciples. That's John the Baptist that he's explaining to his disciples about who Jesus is. And it's verses 31 through 36. And what he's describing, folks, is the, is the new covenant that God is making with his people. And in this whole chapter, and we're going to look at this whole chapter just in, in basically in passing, but the whole chapter of, uh, of John, chapter, chapter 3, is all a, it's a comparison between the old covenant that God established with his people and the new covenant that God is making with his people. And the new covenant is all about the salvation that is being offered. Now, uh, salvation probably should not be understood especially from John's point of view, salvation should not be understood as a one-time event that takes place in the life of the believer. 
In other words, salvation is not really, uh, I came down to an altar and there's this evangelist who came and he yelled really loud, scared me to death. So I came down to the altar and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I said this prayer and someone helped me with that and they said, say this, and I said that and I got up and everyone's crying, so I started crying and, then I, and I gave this testimony and Jesus come into my heart and I was saved. Yes, I was saved. And we might talk about that as being saved and that may be your experience and I wasn't making light of that. Too much. <laughs> Just teasing you. Anyway, uh, that may be your experience. And that is saved, and that's fine. But what John is talking about in terms of being saved, in terms of salvation, is a lifetime experience. You're supposed to say amen. Let me say it again for you. Uh, salvation is not a point in time, but it is a lifetime experience. It might even be talked about as a lifestyle. Now, the, now we, yeah, there you go. You're with me. Um, John has particular language that he uses. And folks, we have language. You understand that, don't you? We have buzzwords, especially in the Church of the Nazarene. We have buzzwords, and that's probably a negative, uh, a negative way to look at that. But we have words that we're familiar with uh, that John doesn't necessarily use. The words that John uses is, is words, uh, phrases like the one who comes from above. He has this above language or this born again language. This filled with the spirit language. This resource language. That's what he's talking about. Our language we use in terms of salvation uh, are really terms like saved. That kind of language. Everyone has their different, everyone has different language. Uh, John Wesley had, had language that was correct in trying to express the concept of salvation, he used words like entire sanctification. We use words like holiness. Words he also used. That he used those types of terms that John doesn't use. So in looking at some of the, uh, looking at this passage of scripture this evening, folks, what you're going to find is, is that some of the language that we're going to be looking at is a little different. It's not the language that you might use. But the concept, now stick with me, the concept that we're trying to get at in terms of salvation that John is speaking of is essential to the life of the believer. Folks, I am, I am absolutely convinced that if our concept, if our understanding, if our salvation is, is, is based on my church attendance, if it's based on, yeah, I, I bumped my head twice on that altar about you know, so many years ago, so many months ago, whatever that might be, and uh, I pay my tithe. I show up to church on Sunday. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't watch MTV much. And uh, I don't lie or steal. And yes, I'm saved. If that's our definition of salvation, folks, we're hurting. Because salvation is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's about a lifestyle of being saved from a way that I used to live. Which had to do with death, had to do with destruction, had to do with failure, had to do with not measuring up. All of those types of terms. That's the life that I used to live. And that's what was associated with it. But the life that I have in Christ is all about succeeding. It's all about conquering. It's all about, it's all about living in a way that I was never able to live before. Wow. It's exciting, isn't it? That's the passage we're looking at this evening. And it's, it's tremendous. It's verses 31 through 36. But before we look at it, I'd like to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us and... Uh, I want you to do something tonight. I want you to not apply this to someone else in the congregation. I go to revival sometimes and I watch moms. I love moms. I've got a mom. And they bring their teenage son or something like that. And they want him to find Jesus. They want Jesus to get a hold of him. You know. 
and they sit there in the service and you can just you look at them and you know they're just applying it oh yep that that applies to him oh he'll catch that oh he'll hear this and you can see him just looking at you know me going give it to him you know and and the whole time they're not being fed they're not seeking would you just give that person to Jesus and get away from that and seek God yourself and allow and allow him to stretch you and grow you because you're not done either we're all far from it so let's invite the Holy Spirit tonight and would you be willing as we pray and I know you're going to be willing you're going to be willing to say hey God I want you to speak to me I want you to stretch me hey is my understanding of salvation the Bible's understanding of salvation am I living according to the word of God isn't that exciting we're going to have a great evening let's pray Father we love you what an opportunity we have phenomenal worship great uh, uh, great atmosphere in this place Father I count it such a privilege to be your son tonight to be in your presence would you uh, have your way tonight we want to come and we want to we want to worship and we want to be engaged with you we want to be confronted by you Father I want you to have your way in my life tonight free access moving as you would please in, in Jeremiah Bullock I want to be drawn close to you I want to live a holy life I want to live the life that you've called me to live and that is so misunderstood in today's society would you let us understand tonight would you help us understand would you open our eyes to what it means to be saved to live in salvation to live a holy life we have tried to express that over the generations in a number of different terms. Would you create terms for us tonight to understand what it means to be a child of God? And we ask these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to read the passage of Scripture with, uh, for you really quickly. I'm preaching out of the NIV this week because it's the Bible my mom bought me. And I like it. And I grew up on it. So I'm reading out of that. But uh, if you have a different translation, that's wonderful because that's a commentary in and of itself. And uh, <clears throat> we, we're going to be looking at some words and their, their meaning. I did some word studies on some of these words and, and I'm, I'm aware of your translation. So I would like to uh, read it in the NIV for us this evening. And uh, uh, this is how it reads. John chapter 3, verses 31 through 36. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who accepted, accepted it, has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Okay some difficult language for us language we might not necessarily use but what he's been talking about here in this passage John the Baptist what he's saying to his disciples is, is, is exactly uh, giving them insight into who the person of Jesus is who, who is this man who is baptizing a little bit over there with his disciples who is this one that all of the people in Israel are, are buzzing about Jesus has been doing things in the temple of course that whole scene in the wedding at Cana has become known and it's become widespread Jesus is healing people thousands of people are beginning to follow Jesus to the point where by the time you come to the end of chapter 6 
which we're almost there, moving into chapter 4, you will find that Jesus has 5,000 probably men, not even counting the women and children who are with him, who have followed him and the 12 disciples out. And the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, listen, tell them to go in town, buy some food. There's nothing to eat out here. All these people have followed you. Go tell them to get something to eat. And of course, Jesus says, don't tell them to go. You give them something to eat. And the miracle uh, of multiplication of the food, of the, of the fish and the bread takes place. Buffet. Everyone's happy. Uh, but we understand that there has been this movement in Jesus to such an extent everyone has seen this thing. And so John the Baptist's disciples are they're, they're confused. They don't quite understand. Uh, and and this, is a, uh, this is a study really on verses 22 through 30, which is the prior uh, first half of this conversation. Uh, really, the disciples of John probably see Jesus as a liberal. I mean, he, he, he's really, uh, he's coming against the traditions of the people. And of course, God is doing a brand new thing. And, and, and that is so radical for the Jew to, uh, to uh, accept. I mean, it's so radical that the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the Old Covenant, nail him to a cross some three years after this. And so you have these disciples that are questioning John the Baptist, and he's giving them insight. Now, using his language, which we're going to understand if we look at it, but he gives them insight into who Jesus is. Uh, he, he uses this language to describe Jesus. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. And so the way he refers to Jesus is the one who is, above, uh, who is from above. And that's contrasted, the one who is from above, who is Jesus, is contrasted to, uh, against the one or over against the one who is from the earth or below. This is what he says. The one who is from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. So in other words, there's two groups of people. You had Jesus who is from above and then you have those who are from the earth. Now, he has already talked about this uh, in this chapter. If you would go back into verse uh, verses. 12 and 13 of John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and uh, Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand this. And this is what he says. He says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So John has been talking about this all along. This one who is from above language. In other words, this idea is this one who is from above, he operates, he, he functions, he thinks, he lives out of a strength of, of someone who is above the earth. Well, the people who, who are from the earth, well, they operate and they talk and they act and they function like a typical guy is from the earth. And what he's describing is, is he's describing Jesus as the product. Now stick with me. He's describing Jesus as the product of the new covenant who surpasses someone from the old covenant. The old covenant is all about uh, serving God through the flesh the best way you can. He gives you these laws. He gives you these commandments. And you're to serve God. You're to serve Him. You're to worship Him. He gives you these sacrifices. And you're to live the best way that you can. But the reality in the old covenant was is that no one could live to please God. Is that correct? No one can live to please God. So in the New Covenant, which God talks about consistently in the Old Covenant, talking about the New Covenant, uh, he says it through the prophet Jeremiah, and you always listen to the prophet Jeremiah. He says through the prophet Jeremiah that uh, he says, uh, I'm going to uh, have, establish a new covenant with my people. He says the same thing through his, uh, uh, Isaiah. Uh, one of my new favorite verses is out of the book of Ezekiel. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 36. And he's just, God is describing to, uh, to Ezekiel 
about this new covenant. And he says stuff like, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on them and they're going to be clean. I'm going to take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. But then he says this. He says, then I'm going to put my spirit within them and cause them to follow my decrees and obey all my commands. In other words, they were never able to live like that in the past. But I'm going to place my spirit inside of them and cause them to live a way that I want them to live. Which is the new covenant. And so the one who is, who is of the new covenant is resourced, is born from above. Now, he really explains this really well, better than I do, of course, to Nicodemus when he's talking to him about this. Now, I want to make light of something. In verse 31, it says, the one who comes from above. That word above, it's not translated in any of our translations uh, the same way as back in verse... Uh, Three of chapter 3. In verse 3 it says, In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That word again and the word over in verse 31, above, translated differently, and I have no idea why, but is actually the exact same word in the original language. In fact, uh, one or two of the translations, and I'm not sure which ones they are, but one or two of the translations do not translate this born again. They translate it born from above. Do your translations have that this evening? No? Oh, it does? Not a liar. I promise. <laughs> it's actually translated born from above, isn't it? What is that? The King James? Or? Amplified. The Amplified? Oh, dear, the Amplified. <laughs> I have a good friend. We tease each other about the Amplified. First one, okay. Well, it's translated born from above, which is actually a better and more accurate translation. Because what he's talking about, now listen to this, the one who is born from above has been, has been given salvation, I should say it like that, the one who's born from above, born again, has been given salvation from the one who is already from above. So the one who is born again or born from above is similar or equal to the one who is already from above. That makes sense. Let me explain it this way. In verses three, or in chapter three, verses one through eight, Jesus looks to Nicodemus and he's trying to get, to get across this concept of salvation, which is, hey, you cannot live to please God out of the flesh. That somehow you've got to live. That God has to place His Spirit inside of us that He can cause us to live to please Him. He can master the things in our life that we were never able to master. He can take control of the things in our life that we were never able to take control of. And he describes this to Nicodemus in verses uh, 5 and 6. And he says, No one can enter the kingdom of God, and he gives him two things, unless he's born of the water and the Spirit. Being born of water in that day was a sign of baptism. The idea of baptism, to be born of water, is an idea of baptism. And baptism was all about repentance. And we know what repentance is. Sometimes I think, I think maybe we get confused with repentance. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. You understand that, right? Repentance is literally turning from. Repentance is God moves in my life. I've been living a certain way. He moves in my life. And I realize that He's not pleased with that. Repentance is, Father, I turn from that way of life. And I face a whole new way of life with You. Now, in and of itself, that is not salvation. Salvation is not stopping doing bad stuff and starting doing good stuff. Because if you, start, if you face this new life out of the same resource that you face the old life, your new life 
is going to look just like your old life. That's right. Amen. Because the old life of sin, what's the old life about? Well, you tried to fulfill yourself in the only way you know how. Hey, I had all these needs in my life. And so what did I do? I did my best to try to fulfill the needs in my life the best way that I could. And it was the result of that was sin. Because everything that is associated with the flesh, it leads to death. Everything. And so Christianity, the new covenant, the new covenant that God has given us, is that we turn from this old way of life, we face a whole new way of life, which is the idea of repentance, baptism, being born of water. And then he says he fills us with the Spirit, because it's being born of water and the Spirit. So after turning from this old way of life, we face a new way of life, and he fills us with his Spirit, enabling us to live a whole new life that we were never able to live before. And so salvation, folks, is all about resource. It's all about resource to live a life that I was never able to live before. Uh, you look up the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. And the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you are lacking self-control, for instance, in your life, young men, what does that tell you? You're not living out of the resource of the Spirit, man. And I have watched, and young men, I've watched your parents do this. I watch parents come to church every Sunday wore out, tired, just exhausted because they come in going, that type of thing. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to, and I'm going to discipline myself and I'm going to live the way I'm supposed to and I'm going to, and they live like that all week long. No wonder they're tired because in order to succeed as a Christian, in order to live the way that God has called you to live, it doesn't come down to it comes down to allowing the Spirit to come down in my life and take control of the things that I could never control. Amen. It's not about discipline. And I've seen this. You ever seen anybody? Have you ever experienced this? Where they kind of live this kind of up and down lifestyle? Summer camp comes. They get right with God. God moves on their life. They go home. They're on this high. They're going to live that way. Two weeks later, they get wore out and then uh, winter retreat comes. You had this speaker come, this evangelist. He screams and yells at you. You feel that God is moving on your life. He addresses you. You get right with God. You're going to live this way. You're going to discipline yourself. You're going to do it this time. You're going to read your Bible. You make all these commitments. You come up and you nail something to the cross and you testify in church and you get all these accountability partners. And then a month later, what happens? Now, why do you think that takes place? I used to think it's because, well, they just didn't care. They didn't want it. But that's not what it's about. What the whole thing is about is they weren't resourced. They weren't resourced. It's not that they didn't want to succeed. It's that they didn't have the resource to succeed. They tried to, they tried to live the Christian life out of the same resource as they lived the non-Christian life. And you cannot live that way. Which should give us, folks, understanding about those outside of this walls tonight. Outside of these walls tonight should give us insight into their lives. How do you explain... Let's take a drastic look. How do you explain the rapist? Is he evil? Yeah, yeah, he's probably evil. But what's going on in his life is he has these deeds, he has these, he has these wants, he has these desires, and he, the only way he can meet those is through his own strength, and he will kill, he will hurt, he will destroy, and he will do whatever he can to fulfill those desires in his life. And so all you have in terms of a rapist is someone who's living out of the resource of they're filling the desires in their life and they're twisted and they're torn and they're perverted and they're... 
And he was never meant to be fulfilled that way. Do you see that? He was never meant to be fulfilled that way. And so if the rapist would come to Jesus Christ, what would happen is the Spirit would come in his life and he would satisfy the needs in that life instead of his own flesh. Does that make sense? Did you catch that? Do you understand? This is what he's talking about here. And he's trying to describe, he's trying to describe Jesus uh, to, the, to the disciples. And what he does, and of course John has, John's put these two passages together for a reason, because in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, he's been talking to Nicodemus about this born-again language, and then he goes into this passage with Jesus and John the Baptist, and they're out there baptizing, and he talks about, you want to know an example of one who is born again. You want to see what someone looks like living out of the resource of spirit? Look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is from above. He doesn't speak like one who's from the earth. He doesn't act out of the resource like, uh, of one who, who's from the earth. He lives out of the resource of his Father. And this is what he's talking about. So the equality, now put this together, the equality with Christ and us in this passage is phenomenal. You guys understand that Jesus was not uh, uh, Superman? You understand that, right? He didn't have a cape or a big S on his cloak. He didn't have that. In fact, Paul says that he emptied himself of all but love, which means everything, everything that would make him different than us in terms of his power and resource and understanding, he dumped that. And he became just exactly like us, save sin. He was born without sin. But sin, all sin is, is an intimacy issue. We were born away from God. We were born in, in, uh, in condemnation. We were born living for ourselves. Jesus was not born. Jesus was born in absolute intimacy with the Father. But he did not have any resource that we do not have. And how you explain everything going on in the life of Jesus was not the product of what he was doing out of his own flesh. It was the product of what his... It's the product of what his father was doing. I mean, you think about this. You have at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that visibly, visibly comes down and infills him. And at that moment, the miracles start. He lived for 30 years prior to that and never did one miracle. And yet, at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, wham, you have miracles for three years. And every time he does a miracle, he says, hey, don't, don't, don't praise me, don't worship me. You are seeing my Father at work. Amen. And so if you're wondering, and man, I get this look whenever I share this passage. And this was only the second time I've ever shared it, but I'm already getting this look, so I'm not sure how many times I'm going to preach this. I mean, I'm going to preach it every week. Because I think sometimes we think that Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live, which is not consistent with this book. He was the first among many, and that he was the literal demonstration of the life that you and I are to live. And there is equality all written through this book. Listen to what he says. Uh, the one who is from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. But the one who comes from a heaven is above everyone. He's operating out of a resource that no one from the earth is operating out of. He's living in ways that no one can live. And you see this in his miracles. You see this back in the temple scene, back in verse 24, 25. You get the people that are seeing the miraculous signs of Jesus saying no mere man could do this. And Nicodemus comes out. And the first thing that Nicodemus says, he says he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracles you were doing if God were not with him. 
Because no mere man could do those. It is evident that God is working in your life because there is something moving inside of you that is not of you, man, and we see it. And so he is the one who is from above. He is the one who is from above. And those of us who are Christians are born again. We are born from above, which means we begin to live and operate out of the same resource that Jesus lived and operated out of. Wow. Now, he goes on. And in verse 32, it says, He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. What's he talking about? We well, just talked about it to Nicodemus, but Nicodemus does not believe. In the middle of the conversation, Nicodemus says in verse 9, How can this be? Jesus has presented the new covenant. He says it's not about the, the flesh. It's not about disciplining yourself. You cannot please God and live out of the flesh. He tells him in verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And the flesh cannot produce the kind of life that the spirit can produce. And you are called to live by the spirit, not out of the flesh. And so he testifies to what he has seen and heard. He says, listen, I'm telling you, man, this is the new covenant. God has sent me. And how do I know this? Because I'm living this way. I'm telling you this is what it's about. But no one's listening to him. No one's believing him. However, those who do believe, and I believe that you and I would be in that, uh, in that group, those of us who do believe, it says in verse 33, the man who has accepted his testimony has certified that God is truthful. In other words, the one who has accepted Jesus' testimony says, hey, I believe that's true. They certify that, God's, that what God has said is truthful because they begin to live in ways that they could never live before. I was out of control as a teenager. In fact, <coughs> And you probably don't know me. Some of the teens, I think, know me. But I didn't come from a Christian home. Um, I was raised Mormon and uh, Baptist. So I was in trouble no matter which way I went. But I was... Uh, that's just a joke. You know, just, just kidding. It's either your humor is bad or mine. And I think mine's good. So anyway, I was raised Mormon. And um, I grew up in a rough home. And I was the kid. My parents were divorced. And um, so I, my mom worked incredible hours, so I raised myself pretty much. And, um, and that's partly true. But I was the kid that all the parents would not let their kids hang out with. But, and I was called bad. I was a bad kid is what my principal called me. But you understand, I look back and I don't see myself as a bad kid. I saw myself fulfilling the needs. I saw a teenager fulfilling the needs in his life the only way he knew how. That's what was going on in me. But when Jesus moved into my life and took over my body, he began to meet needs in my life that I could never meet before. Joy is the byproduct of Darvaset. No, hold up. That's not what the scripture says, is it? Joy is a byproduct of a drug that you get from the doctor when you're depressed, right? Amen? Is that how we live? No, it's not. Joy is a byproduct of the Spirit, man. That you don't have to live in those kind of ways anymore. That success in the Christian life, living above sin, living in intimacy with God has been made possible, folks. This is the type of life. And the person who accepts Jesus' testimony and walks with Him by saying, I believe, you know what the word in the, in, the, in the original language, in the book of John, the word pistuo, which is translated faith, belief, and trust, is used, listen to me, Faith, belief, and trust, all the same word in the original language is used 98 times. 98 times. And the idea of faith, believing, 
trusting means I believe you. I believe what you said was true. I believe that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and live pleasing to God. I believe that you can grab hold of my body and my, my sex drive and my mind and my thoughts and my emotions. That you can take my anger and all of those types of things and you can bring those things into line so that I can live the life you've called me to live. And I live in submission to the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, but I, but I no longer live, but He lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, you know, I don't, I don't live this life. I live in response and live out of the resource of Christ. Christianity is resource. That's what we're talking about. Uh, so the one who has accepted his testimony certifies that God is truthful. He's saying, hey, I'm telling you this is true. Everything that God said in the Old Testament, putting the Spirit inside of us and causing us to live a life, I'm telling you it's true. I'm telling you it's true. The one who, is, the one who has believed Jesus' testimony about what he's been talking about certifies that God is truthful. And then he goes on. For the one whom God uh, has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. And as God gives the Spirit without limit in Jesus Christ, He gives the Spirit without uh, limit in us. It's hard to convey that, but John sums up his gospel with it. And I, I told you to mark John chapter 20. And I want, I want you to turn there. At the end of Jesus' life, He's, of course, been crucified. He's been taken down from the cross. He's been placed in a tomb. Uh, there's guards who are present there. And the other Gospels give us some, some, a better picture, possibly, of the physical events that took place, the angel descending, the earthquake, as a result of the angel descending. The, you know, uh, he grabs this stone, he tosses it over to the side, uh, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in, uh, to let us in to see that, hey, Jesus has arisen. Uh, that was why the angel came. And, of course, he, he's, uh, he's there. The guards, you know, they, in, in the book of Matthew, talks about how the guards shook and became like dead men. They fainted. You know? Saw this angel descend. And anyway, you have the, 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 the women who are there and Mary Magdalene, who's one of those. They're distraught. They're upset. She can't believe what's happened. She thinks Jesus' body's been stolen. So she's running around and she runs up to this guy, begins to talk to him, and then realizes it's Jesus. And she drops and grabs a hold of his feet. And Jesus tells her in chapter 20 of John, verse 17, he says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. But now listen to what he says. Listen to this language. He says, Go instead to my brothers. Understand, he doesn't say, Go and tell those dirty, rotten disciples who you know, ditched me back there, yeah, left me to be crucified. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go and tell my slaves. He doesn't say, go and tell my servants. He says, go and tell my brothers. Which is all about equality. It's all about equality. He says, go and tell my brothers. But listen to what else he says. Go and tell my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father. To my God and your God. That's equality. He says, go and tell my brothers, not my slaves, not my servants, tell them that I'm going to my God and your God. To my Father and your Father. Which is all about equality. It's all about equality. And then he goes on, you go down a little bit, a couple verses, and Jesus actually appears to them in the upper room. Pick up the conversation in verse 21. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. In the same manner... In the same manner that the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Which is all about equality. Hey guys, the same mission I've been sent with, you're getting sent with. 
the same things I'm going to do, you're going to do. And he tells them that. Just as the Father has sent me, the same resource, the same spirit. Say amen or something, that's great truth. Just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he goes on, and with that, verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, which is the same resource he had. So we've been sent in the same mission and given the same resource. The same resource for the mission that Jesus had is the same resource for the mission that we have. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And the same authority that he had, we have. Listen to what he says. Receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's heavy, isn't it? The same power and authority that Jesus acted with on earth, you and I have it. Which is all about equality. In other words, what's going on back in our passages is John, it's speaking to his disciples, and says, listen, you, you know that I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him to prepare his way. He is the one who's from above. And by the way, everything that he's talking about, everything that you're seeing, everything that he's saying, hey, in a few short years, you're going to be seeing it again. Because everyone's going to be living the way that Jesus is living. Everyone's going to be living the same type of life that he is living. Verse 35, he says, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. So whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. In other words, whoever believes in Jesus says, I believe in the type of life that you've been called, that you've been talking about. I believe in the type of life that you've been calling me to live. Whoever believes in Him has that life. But whoever says, No, I don't believe in that, they don't have that life. Listen to how he says it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remain on him. Do you understand? Do we understand? And this is incredibly stretching. That salvation is not a magical prayer that we say and somehow he just forgets about all the bad stuff we do and we'll go to heaven someday. That's not Bible. Salvation is the very life that Jesus lived. Listen to me. The very life that Jesus lived is a life that you've been called to live. He is the one who is from above and we are the ones who are made like Him being born from above. The activity in the Spirit of God moves inside of us and enables us to live the type of life that Jesus lived. I want to ask you this evening. And oh, this has been doing all kinds of things to me. Oh, this has been doing all kinds of things to me. What's your uh, standard? What's your standard for your Christian life? Lots of good standards. I have mentors in my life. I have people that I look at and go, whoa. But who's our standard? Who do we set ourselves up against in terms of, hey, I want to live a pleasing life to you, God. I want to live the kind of life that you've called me to live. I want to live pleasing to you. What's your standard, man? Is Is it him? Have you, have you stood before him and said, hey, as, as your son never lived out of his own self, never lived for what was best for him, right. never went in his own direction, right. never did what was best for his career, right. focused on himself, but literally lived every moment saying, Father, have, thy will be done. Yes, yes. The disciples come to Jesus and says, hey, listen, Jesus, we, we've been seeing what God's been doing in your life. Pretty impressive, by the way. Teach us how to pray. Jesus says, that's simple. Listen to the focus of his prayer. 
His prayer is not, you know, God, uh, heal my body, fix my big toe. Fix Shaq's big toe, by the way. And, uh, you know, uh, he, my back really hurts. And, oh, my credit cards are run up again. Yeah, sorry about that one. And, uh, you know, hey, I want this, I want this. That's not what he talked about. Jesus said, listen to how he prayed. Listen, listen to how he prayed. He says, our Father, which art in heaven, which is what he's been talking about, that above place, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He talks about forgiving our sins. We forgive each other. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Where's the focus of that prayer? It's all on him. It's all on have your way. Are you, are you living that way? I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired to death of churchy people who are wrapped up in their suits and their ties who are wrapped up in their Sunday morning, I do this, I show up to church every Sunday in the light. I'm, I'm tired of that. I'm fed up to here with that. Because that's not what he's talking about here. Amen. What he's talking about here is an individual who is living, who is resourced, who's being, who's being invaded by the Holy Spirit of God, who is being grabbed from the inside, who is taking the things in our life that do not, that do not line up with the Scripture, taking the areas of our life where we are living out of the flesh, and bringing those, under the, bringing those under the submission and under the control of the Holy Spirit. This is what he's saying in this passage. That Jesus, the very one who lived on this earth, died. And he tells parables about this. He says, unless a grain, of, uh, unless a seed, or what is it, a grain or something, dies and falls to the ground, it just remains one seed. But if it dies, it multiplies. So the concept is that Jesus is talking about and he's got such hope and expectation about this is that when he dies and the Holy Spirit comes it's not just going to be a, have been just one Jesus on earth it's going to be millions of Jesus all over the place and we live out of that resource folks are you living like that you see I like what you're doing here but see you're not going to grow this church and well you might I've learned that you can grow a church out of the flesh but I wouldn't call it a church and what God wants to do in this place is reach those people out there not with just fancy music. And music's fine. Not that you don't have to have good musicians. But it isn't about a building. It isn't about dress or the songs you sing or contemporary or traditional. It's about having God having full reign and access in your life. Amen. And if you're not living like that, you're just another club, man. You're just another clique. Because the life He's called us to, the standard that He's called us to is Jesus Himself. He comes to you and says, Hey, here's what I want. I want to come inside of your life and have, have to the fullest reign that my will becomes your will in your life. That when you live in your world, you are so tight with Him that He is so living in your life that your heartbeat is His heartbeat. You find yourself longing for the things that He longs after. You find yourself longing to, to watch the TV shows that He watches. You, fi you find yourself wanting to hear the jokes that he, uh, that he would listen to. Amen. And it's not just living this life of, well, I can't do that because I'm Christian. It's, it's much deeper than just rules and regulations. It's you're, the heartbeat of God begins to throb inside of you. Amen. This is Christianity. This is what, see, Jesus' passion, his excitement wasn't due to religious stuff. It was the heartbeat of God that was beating inside of him. I, I want that in my life. I want that passion in my life. I want that heartbeat beating inside of me. Are you living that way? Are we, are we living that way? 
Not are we coming to church on Sunday. Tired of that. Church on Sunday is fine and has its place. But see, you can dress up in a white coat and put a stethoscope around your neck and go to the hospital. It doesn't make you a doctor, man. There's something on the inside of an individual. Jesus, I want that in my life tonight. What a powerful passage of Scripture. John looks to his disciples and says, you want to know what this guy's about. Hey, you guys have followed me around. You yourselves can testify that I'm not the Christ. You've seen me baptized. You've seen what I'm talking about. You've seen my insight. You've listened to my teaching. But this guy, this guy, so far passes me, not because he's a better speaker, not because he's more intellectual, not because he's had more training, but because he's, he's resourced by something, guys, that I'm not resourced with. Jesus, what I've found in my life is that every time I fail you, every time I fall flat on my face, every time I just find myself not, not measuring up, it's because I'm living out of my own resource. It is a dangerous prayer to pray that you would bring me to death. I have trained myself for years to live out of the flesh to get my self-esteem based off of how pretty I am or how well I speak I judge how good of a Christian I am by how well I do things how many people I've won to you would you just take all of that stuff God and pry it from my grip so that I live my life focused on you learning how to release control in my life so that your spirit can take control and I can live a life of response to your working and moving in my life. Uh, Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We've only got two days this week. And it's so short. I'd love for the opportunity to arise where we could come back and do this for like a week. But it's simple and short. Do you have the power and the activity of God moving in your life? One of the greatest dangers, I think, to a young person is his talent. Is their ability. Because you can... It's so, it's so easy to lean on talent and ability. I, I, I want to have no talent and no ability. That way all I have is Him. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? The only crutch I leaned on was Jesus and Jesus alone. We're going to have, I think our musicians come back. I I would like that to take place. And uh, they're going to lead us in uh, maybe one, maybe two songs. Would you be willing to respond tonight? And that's so stretching to stand up in front of everybody and come down to an altar and pray but I wonder if maybe the Bible's definition of salvation is is my definition of salvation I mean how many times have I said yeah I know I'm a Christian why I come to church every Sunday come on I mean I've got to be a Christian I mean I'm not even going to watch the new Victoria's Secret movie that's coming out this week I'm not going to watch that yeah I'm a Christian and I don't tell dirty jokes much and uh you know, hey, I go to the church of the Nazarene. That's got to be that's got to be worth something. But see, is our definition of salvation? Hey, 
<laughs> you know, he is teaching me every day, man. He's invading my life. That I'm walking moment by moment. As we were singing about earlier, I'm walking moment by moment by faith. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I trust that you're leading me. What are you doing in my life today? How are you going to use me? Hey, I'm available. Have your way. Have your will. As it is in heaven, let it be in my life. That's salvation. Are you living that way? If you're not, I trust you'd respond. Come down. The idea of the altar is exposing the back of your neck, which is the most vulnerable part of your body, and saying, Jesus, I'm vulnerable to you. Father, I love you this evening. I I love hearing you when you spoke to your disciples as they begin to ask for training. Teach us how to speak. And you just laughed and said, Hey, don't worry about it. Well, what are we supposed to say? (laughs) Don't sweat it. You said stuff like, It'll be given to you. Don't worry about it. Why? How do you heal? And how, how do you stand? And don't, don't sweat it. Just stay in Jerusalem until you're empowered upon high. Until you're empowered with the resource upon high to carry out the mission God has given you. Empower me, Jesus. And fill me with your spirit and everything that's under my control. Teach me. Open my eyes. That I might, re- that I might just, just, re- just release that. Surrender that under your control. We love you this evening, Jesus, and we ask it in the name of your Son to move among us. Amen.